Welcome to my favorite podcast with Noah Marger. Change your thoughts, and you change the world. <laughs> How about somebody change my frickin' diaper so I can change my frickin' clothes? That was, uh, that was Norman Vincent Peale. I have no idea what he did. I have no idea what he's famous for, but he did say that. So my guess is that he was the world's biggest baby because he needed someone to change his frickin' diaper. And I let me tell you, I can relate to that. I wish someone was changing me right now. Um, this will be old news by the time this episode comes out, but Donald Trump lost. Just felt the need to say it. That's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> Welcome back to my favorite podcast. I'm glad he lost is what I'm trying to say. Welcome back to my favorite podcast. This is the podcast about people's favorite things. I am, of course, the host of the show, Noah Marger, as always. Whether you like it or not, I'm here to do Whatever we do on this show, I still don't know exactly what we're doing on this show. We're talking to people about their favorite things. That's pretty much what we're doing. So let's just get into it, because my guest traveled long and far to be here with us today. Uh, She is a one-woman filmmaking machine. You might remember some of her work, including It Happens and Marquetta in the Desert. And she is currently in production on two docu-series that she is producing. The first is If I Burn, You Burn With Us. Great title. uh, Which is a look at the youth protests happening in Hong Kong. And the second is called People to People. It's a VR docu-series about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. She is a director, an editor, a producer. She could do it all. Please welcome with us all the way from Barbados. She's on Island Time, baby. Please welcome Maddie Gwynn. Hi, Maddie. Hey. What's up? Hey. <laughs> What's up indeed? Um, so normally I'm like, man, what am I going to say to the guest before we like really get into it? I'm like, what's that little thing that we're going to do at the beginning of the show? This one I knew exactly what I was going to ask you before hmm. we dove in. And that is, tell, why don't you tell everyone about your, uh, your journey? Um, you st- didn't start in Barbados a couple days ago. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yesterday I was waking up in Stuttgart, Germany, which is a random town in the south that I've been living in for the past year. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. And that is, what's the closest big city? Is it Stuttgart? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like between Frankfurt and Munich, but a bit south. Yeah. Okay. And now you are not there. Yeah, no. Uh, Yeah, actually, so I was only there for like six weeks because I was living there and then I had to go home because of the pandemic and then I came back and then everything went into lockdown again and yeah projects were put on hold and you know typical lockdown and I was just sitting in my room and I was like well what do I do now and then my friends were in Barbados so naturally I took the last flight out from Germany or even maybe even Europe directly to Barbados damn okay yeah you are you're not on the run but in a way you are on the run you're on the you're on the run from lockdown yeah basically 
Yeah. What are you planning to do in Barbados now that you're there after you're done in your little quarantine? Yeah, so hopefully I get out tomorrow. It's been a very strict process. I almost didn't make it in the country because of some testing errors, but luckily I'm negative for now. Um, But I will go straight to my friend's house and then go dive into the ocean. Hell yeah. Yeah. What is the what is the COVID situation in Barbados right now? That's one area of the world I have no idea what's happening as far as COVID is concerned. Yeah, they have like zero reported cases per day, pretty much. Like sometimes they have like two, and the most they've ever had was twelve during the summer. Oh, so like, yeah, but the population is like two hundred fifty thousand. So also you have to think about that. But yeah, they're really strict about people coming in and out. So. Hell yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Like I said, you really are on island time. We are recording this. <laughs> at around 5.30-ish Pacific Standard Time right now, which is 9.30 Atlantic Standard Time for you. How's that uh, time adjustment been? How are you feeling? Honestly, I usually am not that affected by jet lag, which normally I'm going back and forth between West Coast and Europe, so it's like nine hours. And for some reason, like, it's just such a big difference that I just deal with it. But this time, like, being only five hours, I don't know, I'm kind of messed up. And I was awake for, like, 30 hours yesterday. And, Damn. yeah, getting through the day. But I took a big nap. So now I'm ready for this. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Power nap to get ready for a podcast. Yeah. I love it. You're in your conditioning. You're in training right now to podcast. Got to get your, gotta get that sleep number up. We appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Well, Maddie. Thank you so much for being available to do this, even though you're all the way in Barbados. We're talking about something that is very Maddie Gwynn today, I think. I think that's fair. You think that's fair? I think that's fair to say. What? Europe? I mean, I, I shouldn't have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think that's pretty over, you. Yeah. I have been obsessed with it for a few years, but... Yep. That's why we're talking about it on the show. You know, I, I just... I'm like, yep. It really was like... Some people, I'm like, oh, they could talk about this thing or oh maybe they're going to talk about this thing but for you i was like it's probably going to be something to have to do with europe and not only is it something to have to do with europe it's pretty much just europe as a whole just looking at pieces of it so yeah well eastern europe i do have that focus that's true you are yeah you you do like the eastern block so to speak i I guess yeah um but before we actually dive into talking about europe for the rest of the episode specifically eastern europe I do need to ask you Noe's question. Hmm. Can you handle this? It's Noe's question. That is not Noe's question. The question is not can you handle this. That's my preemptive can you handle this. My question is for you today. Outside of Europe, where is somewhere that you've always wanted to go? Hmm. I would say probably Hong Kong because I am doing this series there and have never actually gone there before. So we were supposed to go for the production in March and had the flights booked and everything. And then COVID was happening in China and we canceled. We were going to go actually, we were going to be like, fuck it. But then as soon as the whole world shut down, we were like, yeah, it's, it's impossible. And we would have been trapped there too in a government facility if we had gone. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, but now it's kind of tricky because the series that I'm producing is like, breaking the new security law and that also applies to foreigners now so like if anyone finds out that i'm a part of this project i pretty much can't go to china or hong kong ever which (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. Holy shit. Okay. So I'm trying not to put my name all over it, but now you guys know, so shh, yeah. just keep it a secret. I was just, I was just about to say, don't promote don't promote that you're an American. If anything, you know, I'll bleep that out. She's who knows where she's from, you know, who has no idea. Maybe she's been there the whole time, you know, as far as everyone else is concerned. And don't tell anyone, uh, folks, if you're listening to this, don't tell anyone that Maddie is a foreigner, basically, because that could be very bad for her series. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's anyone who's talking about the protests in Hong Kong could be apprehended. So, damn. How'd yeah. you get, how'd you end up getting attached to that project specifically? Was that something that you had sought out or did someone ask you to come on? How did that sort of come to fruition? Yeah, funny enough. Um, so it's a German production. Like that's, it's from the film academy that I was involved with last year. And the directors I uh, was friends with, and actually they brought me on first of all, because I needed to be part of a project with students of the film academy in order to extend my visa Okay. So sure. it was kind of like, you know, a visa marriage situation where they're like, yeah. all right, you can be our like producer wink, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> <so> <laughs> that's how I got involved in the first place. And then, you know, things just kind of tumbled out from there and got involved in the issue. And yeah, then the pandemic happened. So we kind of have been doing it remotely. And then I was back for a few weeks working on it, but then the school shut down again, so now it's back to being online. So hopefully we'll be shooting next year more. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's worth pursuing regardless of whether you're actually attached to it for uh, immigration reasons <laughs> or not. It sounds like a very interesting project. I'm excited to see it when it actually is you know, presentable. What was that? Were you, I guess, stationed in Stuttgart for that? Is like that the reason why you were based in Stuttgart? Because I know you've kind of been all around the map in Europe, so to speak, right? These mm-hmm. last couple of years? Yeah, so I went to Stuttgart originally for this Film Academy program, which was this international class, which brought um, filmmakers from all across the world to kind of do this like post-grad program. So it was only six months. Um, and that started last October. And then from there, we kind of traveled around to like different countries and festivals, and it was like a networking thing. Um, and then literally like a week after it ended was when the pandemic happened. So I was planning sure. on staying in Germany just like indefinitely and uh, had this project to work on and some jobs, blah, 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 and then had to go home. So yeah, but it feels like it feels like a home for me now. So it's really like my base because now I have my visa there until next June. So kind sure. of this time going back was like a reconnaissance mission to extend it again. <laughs> sure. Which well, it sounds like got. you were successful in that. I mean, it sounds like, yeah, you'll be there till you know, you have to extend it again, which is what you said, June of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Maybe the opposite of you in the sense that I've actually never been outside the U.S., believe hmm. it or not. Yeah, never been. I haven't even been to Canada. I've never even been outside like the continent. Well, actually, that's on trip into Hawaii. I've never been outside the United States. Yeah, never Wait, been to you're Mexico. From Portland, right? Yeah, I am from Portland, so okay. I've literally Canada's just, not that far. It's like what six hours? Five, six hours, or something yeah. like that. I don't even. I, I don't even have a passport, believe it or not. So Damn. even if I want, I know literally the thing that is getting you from place to place right now. Yeah, and you can't um, cross the border right now. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even if I wanted to go there, I do have a couple friends actually up there. So okay. if the border was open, you know, right now maybe that is the time to do, but it doesn't matter because they said no, thank you, Americans, please. Yeah, you know, don't give us coronavirus. Which I get it. Um, but I honestly, I would love to go to Tokyo. 
I think Tokyo okay. seems like, you know, if for lack of a better term, the, the New York City of, you know, the East. Uh, it just seems so fun and so urban. I like actually going out and doing things when I travel. You know, like, oh, I want to go see this or I want to go experience this thing specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, being immersed in the culture is, like, cool and stuff, obviously. But, like, if I'm going somewhere for the first time, I'm like, oh, I want to go see that thing that I went there specifically to see. So yeah. there would be very cool. And then also yeah. I think like Melbourne or Sydney or something like seeing Australia would be really cool. Okay. As well. Yeah. Hmm. Do, you have, do you have any experience in either Tokyo or anywhere in Australia? I do not No, but I was just wondering like, are any of these, are you interested in the cinema scene? Does that have a factor or it's just purely the cities you're interested in? I think that there is maybe a little bit of a, a cinema factor, I guess, for lack of a better term, for Tokyo, just because, like, there is just such a rich history of Japanese cinema. Not that there isn't a rich history of Australian cinema as well, but, like, I think France and sort of Western Europe, Japan, and the United States are, I think, are, like, considered to be, like, the film titans of the world, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, I think. Um, so there is a little bit of an interest as far as the film thing, but literally just, like, where can I go that's so different from where I'm used to? Mm-hmm. Japan is one of those places where it's just like, how much more different can you get from, you know, Western United States that you're used to? So that's like part of the reason. And then Australia just is like so mysterious to me as well. It's like, <laughs> what's really there? I want to see a Roo, you know, I want to <laughs> see one of those bad boys hopping around. So I don't know. seems fun at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't know. Australia is, like, a scarily big country to me. Like, the landmass, when you look at it, and, like, you see how much just space is in the middle, and, like, <laughs> terribly dangerous desert. I don't know. It's never appealed to me. Dude, there is, like, a little bit of, like, a Mad Max feeling when you're, when you're looking out there. You're like, holy shit. This is, like... You know that you know like the Jerry Bruckheimer like studio intro with like the lightning crash on the tree and it's like that really <laughs> fast like road like that's like the scariest possible image of Australia but I don't know it's do you know you know how Australia sort of like was colonized right are no. you familiar with like the origins of that No tell me This this is only like knowledge that was given to me in like 10th grade like in passing so who knows how true this is but I'm pretty sure this is true is that it was basically, like, an escape from New York-style prison for, like, really terrible Englanders in, like, Victorian times and stuff. And so they just shipped all their bad criminals to this place. I think it was called New South Wales at the time. Mm. Um, And it just... That's how Australia came. It literally was, like, an outlaw, you know, like, country, basically, just full of fucking criminals. So, uh, scary, definitely. (laughs) But still a place I'd really like to go, really like to see Australia, Tokyo, outside of Europe, that is. Like I said, never been outside the United States. Would love to go see Paris, would love to go see London, would love to go see maybe some of the places we're talking about today, even. Yeah, any <laughs> Eastern European countries? Maybe. Nothing that really stick out like right off the bat. I feel like that's almost like a deep cut for mm-hmm. me where it's like, I feel like I need to see Paris, mm-hmm. Madrid, London, you know, like, you know, Lisbon, like, or maybe not Lisbon. Lisbon's also a little bit of a deep cut. But some of those bigger, like, bigger country or bigger, like, countries and cities first. But we're talking about Eastern Europe today, like we've, like we've been alluding to, like we've been saying. And I was pretty sure you were going to pick something that had to do with it. But I want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Why did you pick 
European countries. Why is this the topic you landed on? How hmm. did you land on it? Well, I had never really been to Europe before I turned 19, which was when I did the study abroad program from Chapman yeah. in Prague. And I was going to go to Spain because I was studying Spanish, but it was a really right. expensive program and they didn't have any film classes and Prague just came up and they had actually, they had like this flight deal where they were going to pay for everything. So I was like, yeah, why oh, not? Wow. Um, I <laughs> knew nothing about it. And my dad had been there like in the nineties and he was like, yeah, beer is really cheap and the people are weird. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll check it out. So I went not even knowing where it was on a map like I knew absolutely nothing about it wow. <laughs> I was on okay. the plane and I realized like yeah I should have done some research about this because I have no idea what I'm getting myself into <laughs> Damn. Um, but yeah as soon as I arrived I don't know I mean I was having a hard time because I didn't love LA so I think just being sure. in a new environment also that reminded me a bit of Seattle in a way like the weather and the people I don't know it was like more similar to me to Seattle and also Washington, D.C., where I grew up, um, and being, like, in a metropolitan space, not in, like, Orange County, I think this, like, feeling of home kind of came back, and sure. um, I just, yeah, really connected with um, the people and the culture, and it was also totally new and strange, and I liked being, like, out of my comfort zone, so, yeah, that's how I got into it, and then ever since then, I've just always had this craving to be back and so you were there for how long initially on the study abroad like four or five months yeah like six months because i ended up staying through the summer did it just sort of sprout out of you were like well now i gotta basically like you know divide and conquer this place and i gotta figure out like all it has to offer because we're talking about three similar but very different spots today when we sort of get into the specifics of everything so did you land on it because you're like i have you this background on it and it's just really important to me or like what was really the deciding factor of being like I got to talk about Europe on this podcast was it that um yeah I guess over the years I've sort of started expanding uh into other countries because of friends that I met in Prague like sure um all my close friends were from other random eastern European countries that I knew nothing about and so they kind of gave me like a background on them and then I was like oh yeah that sounds like a cool place to go and I don't know, like, you know, you hear, like you said, Paris is somewhere you, you have to go, and London, you have to go, and they, they told me, like, look, you know, we've been to all these, and they're just kind of, yeah, of course, they're they're cool, but we already knew that, you know, so. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so coming to my hometown, which is even cooler and random, so, yeah, that's, and, yeah, now I'm here to say, maybe rebook your flight from Paris to Moscow, or Whoa. Belgrade okay. or, or somewhere you've never heard of before. Well, that was going to be my next question is like these friends who you've made, you know, overseas, I guess overseas for me, not overseas for you anymore, but overseas for me and most of the listeners of this podcast, where were some of those little towns that they took you to and you discovered like, what were some of those hidden gems that you never thought you would visit? And sure enough, you find yourself in. Yeah, I would say, well, Belgrade, I just mentioned, um, which is where in Serbia, right? Serbia. Yeah, it's yeah. the capital. Um, yeah, so that one came from... Uh, I fell in love with this guy in Prague. <laughs> yes, yes. Of course, the typical... Yeah, this may be also <laughs> the reason why I fell in love with Europe, you know. Okay, yeah. He was the embodiment yeah. of this place and blah, blah, blah. 
anyways, uh, I actually ended up visiting Belgrade after we stopped talking. So that was interesting. There you go. But then I also <laughs> have a friend from Chapman, Anya, who is from Belgrade. So I went and met with her there. But yeah, that was that was always actually the first place I wanted to go outside of Czech Republic. Like after I came back to Chapman, I was doing a lot of research on Yugoslavia and that whole sure. region of the Balkans. So um, last summer before I went to Stuttgart, I took like a month to travel around the Balkans and just do like a backpacking trip. Um, oh, wow. Because it's super easy to get around and cheap. And yeah, so that's where also uh, maybe my love for the Balkans especially came from. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. What was it, I guess, specifically about Belgrade that you really enjoyed or just that region? Was it the, the, the climate, you know, the culture, the food, I guess, or some combination of that? What What's the secret sauce of that area? Have you ever heard like a Balkan... I don't even know what it's called, like, uh, Turbo Folk, I think is the genre. No, not okay. familiar with that. You would know it if you heard it. Maybe here okay. you can play some Turbo Folk. <laughs> okay, right now we're going to play some Turbo Folk right here. crazy music genre maddie (laughs) wow that's crazy yeah so this is like the typical thing that you hear in a club or a wedding or i don't know and this is what i was listening to when i was at chapman like walking around orange (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm sure once i actually because yeah it was a total escape you know so i just wanted to be in that environment drinking rakia which is like this really strong like uh brandy i guess um and eating chivapi which is like sausage and bread and nice yeah i don't know i I like the the culture in the balkans like it just is super chill and the people are really hospitable and um yeah i don't know it's a good time how did you determine czech republic russia and kosovo as those countries that you wanted to talk about specifically i know obviously there's a big attachment to prague and in the czech republic but how did you land on russia ultimately and kosovo um okay you want me to just get into it i mean i will we'll talk about them more specifically i'm just curious okay. why you chose those over i don't know estonia or lithuania yeah. or you know whatever yeah well with kosovo this is one of the places i stopped on my balkan travel last summer and i i didn't know much about it like i had read the history and done you know some research but I didn't expect to feel so at home there. It was like a similar feeling that I had in Prague, but like even more because of the people, like the place is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's like kind of a desert with this uh, Blade Runner type city with half built buildings. I don't know, but the people are incredible and we'll get more into this, but they are super similar to Americans, like their culture. 
in oh, okay. a weird way that you wouldn't expect. So, like, they have perfect English and all of the music and movies they watch. It's like, I mean, that's like anywhere in the world, but they are very invested in American culture. And so I felt like I was just hanging out with old friends. So Wow. This is why Kosovo and then Russia, I've actually never been to. Sure. But that obsession started very young because my dad studied Russian literature in college. So it's always been kind of this part of my family. Um, he wanted to, my dad wanted to name me Petra, which is like No shit, name, I didn't know that. Wow. Which, I don't know. I love that name. I, I wish I was named Petra. I feel like that suits me better than Maddie. Really? You'd rather be Petra than Matt or Madison, I guess, but Maddie? Yeah, definitely. Wow. Don't you think? What? what I mean... I don't, I can't envision it personally, but that's only because I know you as Maddie. You know, I don't even think of you as a, a Madison, to be honest with you. There's some people where I'm like, oh, I sort of see that person, you know, if they're a Maddie or a, as a Madison, or oh, if they're an Eli, I actually see them as Elijah. But you, I just see as, as a Maddie. I don't even see the Madison. So even to think about Petra is like just completely <laughs> off, off the dartboard, so to speak. Like that feels just insane. But what is it about Petra that you like? Uh, well, also my dad says it like, Pietra, like it's a very <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. It wouldn't have just been the... Petra, been Pietra. Um, okay, I don't know. It, it's just it. It feels for some reason this name seems like the color green to me. Like I okay. associate names and numbers with like colors, and it feels like a very warm. I love the color green, and I don't know. I feel like it's it. It, it feels more like my soul than okay than Maddie. <laughs> well, you know. It's never too late to change to Petra if you really want, or Pietra, I guess, if you really want to. So yeah. maybe something to look forward to later on when when we can actually. Well, I don't even know because they're going in. They're in full lockdown where you were before. But once once those places are open, hell, Piet. Would you keep Gwyn as the last <laughs> name still, or would you go full full tilt change? Yeah, I have to go like uh, Gwynanova because all of Russian women's names add an ova, or if I wanted to like break gender barriers, I could do Gwynowski, which is for men. Oh, is that is that really how that is? It's like a gender thing mm -hmm. over there. Yeah. Wow. So Maria Sharapova, mm -hmm. then that's that's that. It's the ova as the feminine sort of ending. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. realize that. Her, so last names would, change then. Yeah, her dad would be like Sharapovsky or something. Yeah. Weird, or not like weird, just as in I have no fucking idea that that was even a thing so you know we're learning stuff on this podcast already folks we're what 20 we're almost 30 minutes in we're learning so much shit it's awesome uh one more question before we actually get into each country specifically and this is probably the thing i'm most interested in you've you've touched on it a little bit but you know this will really be a chance to dive in a what one and one a or one a and one b here what do you continue or what do you hope to continue doing in europe and then how do you as an American sort of perceive yourself in this place that isn't where you are originally from? Talk about maybe some of your feelings and how those feelings have evolved then since you've lived there longer. So how do you feel as an American there? And then what do you hope to continue doing in Europe over the years, assuming, you know, pandemics get sorted out and everything? Okay. Um, well, the thing I like about being an American there is how out of place I feel. And I like constantly being confronted by being othered, 
you know, because as an American, I mean, everywhere we go, we go, we're kind of accepted because we're like, you know, the big, the, the big thing. The dominant place. Yeah. yeah. But I like in these places like Czech Republic where, uh, especially with the older generation, like you're not immediately accepted. And I, I like this and I like this experience of, you know, having to be humbled in some ways because I don't know, you feel kind of you feel very privileged when you're there as an American, like, especially speaking English and, you know, making U.S. dollars, like, it's really, it doesn't compare to what people make there, so automatically you have a leg up, whoever you are. Right. Um, but, yeah, when, when you're, when you encounter the language barriers and, you know, just being confused about how to get around or, or the cultural norms, like, I really like this challenge in a way. Um, and I like observing too. You know, I, I I like not knowing what's going on, but just sitting and having to be challenged with every daily action. Like going to the grocery store is like a big adventure, you know. And everything just turns into like a bit harder to do. Um, so when you're you know a young student, when you don't have like that many worries, I think this is a really nice experience to have. That's very interesting. The you know. I think nine out of 10 people would say that what you just described is something they don't want, you know, in their daily life, but you're sort of running with your arms wide open for it. What is it specifically about the challenge of not being accepted immediately that is so appealing to you? Is it a sense of, you know, like anonymity and like sort of like a, like a, oh, I have the opportunity to just be who I really am because no one has any sort of preconceived notions of me? Or is it something different than that? What is it about those challenges that you find so, I guess, endearing, for lack of a better word? Yeah, I guess I'm. it's kind of how I was raised because I was born in D.C. and then I moved to Seattle and then I moved to L.A. for school. So I think that's just how I've grown up. Like, every time I'm kind of getting used to a place and getting to know it, I'm, I've moved. And I've moved schools a lot and you know, friends and houses. And, and I like this constant change. Like I'm kind of addicted to it, you know? Sure. So anytime I feel like I'm getting comfortable somewhere, I, I feel uncomfortable. Um, so maybe this isn't a great thing. You know, I'm always escaping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. You just jumped on a plane and headed to the, to the, to the Caribbean, quite literally. Yeah. 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 Which I'm also excited about because I've never been in the Caribbean. So it's, it's another big challenge. Um, What's the predominant language where you're at? Is it English? Yeah, it's English. But I think they okay. also speak a dialect of Creole, the locals. Okay. Well, you'll get to pick up on some of that. But you won't have the challenge of you know, not knowing the language. You can't use that excuse now when someone is trying to get your attention. You have to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. Not, oh, I don't speak this language. I or know. maybe pull out some of that spanish or some of that german you know depends on how much challenge you want to give yourself i guess you yeah know? no it's also fun to pretend like sometimes when i you know go to a store or something i'll put on a different accent or like i'll try to speak another language so like just play around and there's sure. another thing you can be whoever you want and i'm i mean you can do this wherever you are but i think it feels more free when you know i don't really care if someone doesn't like me when i'm in europe because I don't know. I don't. I don't belong there, anyways. So, <laughs> sure. Is there a loneliness that comes from being so to you know so far away from home? Even though you've said that in a lot of ways, Stuttgart in Germany sort of feels like your base now. What is that loneliness 
feel like? Does it feel different than maybe going away to school or does it feel different than just like feeling isolated? Like talk to me a little bit about that, that big fish out of water feeling of feeling lonely in a place that you're not comfortable with. Mm, definitely. Yeah. It, it, it is different because when you're at home, you know, when you're lonely, you don't feel like you should be lonely because you have people around you who know you and you have the option to reach out but when you're on your own in a different country like when you're lonely you're forced to meet new people and make those connections and yeah I I was I would say a huge introvert before I went abroad actually and I think it really forced me to uh yeah reach out to people and kind of find a new way to connect and I mean, I still struggle with this loneliness, and I feel like also as I've spent so much time there, like, it is getting harder because, especially with COVID, like, you know, for the past few weeks, I've been in lockdown in Germany, and even though I know people there, like, it is definitely lonelier compared to when I was in Seattle with family and and friends around. So, yeah, it's kind of a back and forth. I mean, it it is hard, like... It's it's not fun all the time, you know, and no. I do get super sad and maybe in some ways that's why I'm coming back now because I know that, you know, I've done this like masochistic kind of loneliness for a while <laughs> now and like, I don't know, I'm just kind of, kind of tired of it, to be honest. Sure. I mean, you know, loneliness is not, you know, place specific, but when you are in a place that does feel, you know, there's a difference between feeling lonely and alone. You know, mm-hmm. there's a difference between feeling like you want to be connecting with someone and that feeling of I have no one to connect with. You know, there there's a big difference. And, you know, I I, I am I, I don't know what the right word is, but it's very admirable that you would throw yourself in that position when you, you know, know such a small base and group of people. Obviously, you have friends, you know, there. that's how you're getting on all these projects and basically doing these green card marriages to stay there you know but i i think it's admirable to be honest with you to be there and to continue to throw yourself in the unknown because no matter who you are everyone is afraid of the thing that they don't know or the thing they don't understand and to constantly be moving around in that is i i tip my cap to you maddie gwen that's very i think it's very cool that you're continually throwing yourself in that situation on your own volition. No one's telling you to be out there. You're doing this for you. So my hat goes, my chef, my hat goes off to you on that one. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Can we talk about, uh, is there anything else you want to say or can we talk, start talking about these countries more specifically? Um, wait, I just want to answer the second part of your last question. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So yeah, throughout the years, what what I want to be doing now, I've realized is, bringing the cinema of specifically Eastern Europe to American viewers. Okay. And even to Western European viewers, because I think people have such a skewed image of what Eastern Europe is and often just don't even know anything about it. And I think there's a lot of cool things to discover there. And it's like such a small landmass, but has so many different cultures and languages and, and ways of being. And I think, um, yeah, there, there's such potential to learn from the films there, and there's such great cinema, too. I mean, but, yeah, people just don't have access. I mean, they have access to it. Actually, yeah, it's it's more of changing the culture of, like, wanting to learn more about these sure. countries. Yeah, so that's what I'm trying to do. Hell yeah. Rock on. That's awesome. What are some, what are some, 
I guess, for, you know, there's like the deep cuts that we keep mentioning, but what are some non-deep cuts to get people, I guess, introduced to the world of Eastern European cinema? I know that uh, Cold War was a very popular mm. movie that came out, I think, was it, was it 2019 or 2018? I can't remember. Do you know off the top of your head? Um, yeah, it must One have been 2018. Yeah, so there's that, um, and yeah. then obviously Milos Forman was able to cross over, you know, into America as well. But what are give us give us like three wrecks for some good Eastern European cinema? Okay, well, Honeyland. Did you hear about that? Oh, sure. Documentary. Okay, that's from. North- I didn't see it yet, but I, I I'm familiar. Yeah, I think that was. No, it didn't win the Oscar, but it was nominated. For it was, yeah. Yeah, so that that's from North Macedonia. Really beautiful film. It's it's probably pretty accessible, and older director have you ever heard of Amir Kusturica of course yeah 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 so his films those that that's like very typical Serbian Balkan style Um, sure any of his films underground right is a big one yeah and then like black cat white cat or something like that. Yeah, those are the two that I think most people, if they're, I've never seen either of them, but I know the name, and I know Underground is very well received in the, uh, I'm going to say the worst phrase of all time, so excuse me, the cinephile community. (laughs) People love Underground and, you know, like or really like Black Cat, White Cat. So Mm -hmm. we got Honeyland, we got Amir Kusturica, is it Kusturica? Is that how you say it? Kusturica. Kusturica, okay. So we got those two. Give us one third one, and then we'll dive into talking about Czech Republic. Oh, God. Um, can I just say, like, a broad genre? Please, yeah, okay, yeah, Okay, yeah. because this is what I'm really obsessed with, is the Czech New Wave. Okay, and, who's in the Czech New okay, Wave? Okay, well, Milos Forman, so... <laughs> yep. <laughs> we love Milos. I, lo- I, lo- I love Milos. I think he's awesome. Yeah, but also, I have to plug... Okay, mini pre-plug. Uh, okay. Vera Hitilova, she did Daisies, which is also sure. very popular in the cinephile community. Um, <laughs> yeah, such a bad fucking phrase, but yes, yeah. okay, yes, yeah. Yeah, just watch Daisies, it's awesome. I yeah. Oh yeah. Highly recommend. But any any films any films between 1961 and 1968 from the Czech Republic are guaranteed to be awesome. Just Google that, and then any of those films. Is Jan Svinkmeier? Uh, from the Czech Republic? Yeah, but he's, like, in the next generation. So, yeah, okay. when they became more communist. Uh, so that's why he did animation, actually, because he didn't have much possibility to do big feature films in, in this sure. communist system. So, yeah, he's really cool. He's, like, 80s, 90s, I think. His stuff is trippy. I've only seen a very small handful, and I couldn't even tell you what they're called, but I've just, like, seen his animation stuff, and it's fucking wild. But he's a little bit later than the Czech New Wave, it sounds like. Yeah, he's cool, too, though. Well, speaking of the Czech New Wave, Maddie, we're going we're gonna to get in our... Where, where are we taking... I'm trying to figure out, because we're going to go on a journey today. We're going to drive or fly or take a train, you know, however we need to get around across Eastern Europe. But we're starting in Czech Republic today. I got a couple questions for you. Obviously, Czech Republic seems like it was the first real taste of Europe that you got. And I, we we talked, we touched on a little bit, but really hammer home for me. What is it specifically about the Czech Republic that you enjoy so much, and what it really makes it feel special to you? Well, it's the first place that I fell in love with beer. Okay, shout out beer. Shout out to Pivo. As I call it. <laughs> Shout out to Pivo. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's like the first thing that comes to my mind. Like, it is the best place to just have a pint on draft. There we go. For like literally a dollar. It's cheaper than water. Oh, shit. Um, it's cheaper than water? <laughs> yeah. Damn. All right. They really want you going for it then, I guess. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they're weird in Europe where they, you have to like pay for water at restaurants and stuff. So it's probably like two or three dollars for water, but it's like a dollar, dollar fifty for a beer. Damn. So, yeah. Um, beer. It's just so easy to get. And it's just part of the culture. Like you just drink a beer with every meal and, and, and several. Sure. And it's just a chill thing. It's not to get super drunk. It's just to enjoy and this is a really good way to meet people too. This is how I met like most of my friends there, just drinking a beer by myself in these little <laughs> little pubs. And what what is the isn't there? I think it Ben Franklin maybe had the quote that's like beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy or Aww. something like that. Is that is that fair to say of Czechos or the Czech Republic? Is that a fair slogan for yeah. Czech Republic? Yeah. Also, I heard that little slip. Czechoslovakia. Yeah, Czechoslovakia. I almost, yep, you did. Really was hoping we could just whew, skate by that one. But yep, Czech Republic definitely didn't say the other phrase that they used to be called by. But uh, yeah, thanks for pointing that out to all the viewers, listeners. Do you know things. now, actually, technically they're called Czechia? Czechia. Okay. It's our new name. Is that, is that known because i've never heard that before in my entire life or are you are you fooling me live on the no look at google maps it'll say czechia when did that happen i think like 2011 or something i don't know why and no one really accepts it there i think i i don't i don't know for like political and economic trade or or something they use it but the people there are just so sick of the name changing all the time um sure because it was the Czech Republic in, like, the early 1900s. It was the first republic. And then Czechoslovakia. And now this is, like, the second Czech Republic. Okay. Um, but now it's Czechia. Damn. Maybe... They gotta freaking make up their minds. I know. Seriously. Yeah, but no, <laughs> no one uses that. I know. But, so, besides beer, what what else about Czech Republic is, like, what, what else... Or what? It, how do you feel about it in the sense, like, what really makes it feel special to you in that way obviously like we said it's the first you know real stop on your europe journey but what else about it is so special for you well i spend most of my time in prague and i love the geography of prague okay it's hard to explain but it's like in this little valley and in the center of the valley there's this river and it's like perfectly curved and you have all these bridges going across and you have on like the west side there's this big hill with a huge castle on top so wherever you go, you just see this big castle, and it feels very medieval, but... Oh my goodness. Yeah, it, it's very... It, it's actually the only city in Europe that wasn't touched during World War II. Oh, shit. Because, horrifically, because Hitler wanted to use it as, like, a museum of the Jews. Wow. So he preserved it. Um, so now... All the buildings are, you know, you can find buildings from, like, the 1100s. I think the oldest synagogue in the world um, in the Jewish district is in Prague. Um, oh, my gosh. So it's, like, spectacular. I mean, it's it's really a gorgeous city. It has, it's also called the City of a Thousand Spires because they all have, like, these golden spires at the top of the, the roofs. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And so at night, it's, like, always sparkling. And, yeah, it's really just, Cute. like, a fantasy fairy tale 
land. Um, and also getting around is like they have the best public transportation, which I love. I like love really? taking trams. I would get on a tram and just ride them all day, like reading a book or yeah. And listening wow. to music. It, it, yeah, they, they have the best system because it just goes all around and you can get anywhere in the city in like 30 minutes. Is it a train or is it literally like a like? Are you up in the sky or are you are you on land? Because <laughs> like, yeah. okay, when I think of a tram, there's I don't know if you know about this, but there's a tram in Portland that like takes you like up above like the Oregon Health and Science University OHSU campus. So when I think tram, I'm like, oh, it's like basically like a nicer ski lift. But this sounds <laughs> like it's like a nice train. So what's that feel like? Like because I know trains are obviously a big thing, especially in Eastern Europe. Are you a train gal now? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're like uh, cable cars. They're like the ones in T- San Francisco, you know? Copy. But they're okay, like these yeah. little tin sardine cans from the communist times, and they're really cute and red. They look like caterpillars. Um, oh. So those go around. And then there's also buses in case, you know, the tram. I don't know. They, you can walk two minutes and find a bus, a tram, or they also have a subway. Okay, nice. And is it... I guess I'm, the only, I'm only asking because my experiences on American public transit are not this. Is it pretty clean? Like, I feel like it must be pretty clean, right? Pretty regimented. Super clean. Also, everyone takes it. You can find all kinds of people. Um, most people don't have cars, so. Sure. Yeah, it's very affordable. And yeah, it's just a good place. Like, people watch and listen, over overhear conversations. And I don't know. It's just beautiful. How is your relationship with... Czech Republic and I guess Prague specifically changed you know that was like your like you know that was like your flag in the ground like I'm here Mm -hmm. in Europe and that was what three four years ago almost at this point so how has your relationship and feelings toward Prague changed if at all has it changed at all really yeah now it's sort of like a nostalgic feeling which it's always had in a way like I said it reminds me of home so but whenever I go back there it's like yeah it's just reconnecting and I feel like I'm not discovering many new things anymore about it which i know there's there's tons to discover but i haven't lived there in a few years so also it's centrally located so like it feels like a good jumping off point i'm always coming back there but it's it's a place where that connects me to other places gotcha okay yeah i remember talking to some other folks who did do study abroad while we were at school and one of the main things that they talked about was just how affordable it was to get around and so you're not stuck to being in Prague like you can take a I guess a flight or a train or whatever and be in you know Poland or you know Austria or whatever you know like in a matter of hours Mm -hmm. you know if you really wanted to everything's very accessible there as far as getting around everything's much more close and tightly knit you know so it really does feel foreign in the sense, you know, truly, because it's like here in the United, you know, there's a reason why, you know, L.A. is as big as it is. And there's a reason why everyone takes the fucking freeways because you know, everyone's trying to get around, you know, and everyone's in their own little car. And it feels, you know, terrible sometimes. But in another way, it's like everyone is going there and all everyone's going the same direction at the same time. So it's really amazing to me that you can just hop on a cheap, affordable, accessible public transit and be somewhere new. That's got to feel pretty amazing, right? Yeah, I know. And have you ever driven from Portland down to LA to give or do that? Oh, all the time. I've done that drive many, many times. Yeah. That distance, which like I'm also used to driving now would take you like all the way through Europe. So 
Damn. Also, as an American, like, you're so used to sitting in a car for that long where you just endure it, and then you're in a different country. But people that live there, like, they think it's crazy to drive, like, three hours or something. Sure. So, yeah, it's easier to be an American there. And, yeah, I think from Prague any to any country like Poland or Slovakia or, or even Hungary is, like, I don't know, 15 bucks or something if you want to go there by oh bus. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Wow. Damn. What a dream. I mean, obviously, right now, travel is a little bit more difficult with, you know, COVID-19 or whatever and a pandemic at a, you know, always at our fucking necks. But, you know, it's, like, crazy to think that you can just be, you know, $15 away from your next adventure or spend the day and, you know, what is – what's – Budapest is Budapest in Hungary is mm-hmm. that is that a place have you like you know did you do day trips and stuff while you were there just like see other places talk about maybe some of those adventures if you can yeah I tried to not do that as much though because um the people I was in this program with especially the girls that I lived with kind of made it really distasteful like they would just they were gone like half the time and they never really got to know Prague or Czech Republic. They didn't even try the local food. They didn't try to learn the language. And so, you know, they'd just be off in Spain or, or Norway for the weekend, which like, I understand because maybe this is their only chance to be in Europe. But for me, I actually stayed mostly in, in Czech Republic and explored around there. And I wanted to, you know, fall in love with it more. Um, sure. Yeah. Actually, I loved Poland. Krakow oh, okay. was was amazing it's it's really similar to it's like the religious czech republic gotcha because you said they're very catholic in poland now right yeah yeah and they're they're also really cynical but in like a very catholic way you know where there isn't this like reprise to it because czechs are (laughs) czechs are cynical but they like add some humor to it sure and some like absurdism to it but but polish people are just like as an outsider it's funny but for them it's like very serious it's very serious it's life or death you know you know we're we're living on these maybe i don't know dude all those your eastern europe because my every time i would ask my family where are we from originally Mm. it was like a scene in a movie like straight up like i think about this and i know exactly how i would do it like if a kid was asking like where like their lineage is from because i would ask my dad when we were at his parents, my grandparents' house, you know, for, like, school or whatever, you know, hey, where are you from? We'll draw it on the map. And I'd be like, well, where are we from? And everybody's head would turn at the same time, and they would just all say, Eastern Europe. And then they would all turn their heads away. Like, they wouldn't tell me specifically, like, what countries or, like, where, like, we have, like, lineage from. So when I think of, like, all those countries, I just think about it as there's France and there's, you know, (laughs) there's Portugal and there's Spain. And then there's Eastern Europe and that's it. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. So it's just crazy to think that, you know, there's a whole other part of Europe that, you know, doesn't get it doesn't get the respect, as Rodney Dangerfield would say, you know. Do you feel that? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's how I felt about it before I went, too. But I'm really curious to see what countries you're from. Have you? I think... They said Poland, like Poland was always one that sort of came up. I think Estonia and Lithuania, like some of the more, the the smaller countries. But mm. I've never done like a 23andMe or like an ancestry thing to like really find out. It's just never been something that I've gotten around to. But, you know, mm. grandfather, grandmother, dad sitting all there. Everyone's turning their head just going Eastern Europe and then turning back around and doing their thing. So well, that's one great. day we'll find out. Yeah, no, out. you should get it done. I, I'm really curious. I would to like know. to. 
I'm always, where, where's your lineage from? Yeah, I'm always really embarrassed because people ask me, like, oh, you must be, your heritage must be Eastern European if you're so obsessed with it. But unfortunately, I got it done because I was really hoping there would be some check or right. <laughs> something to explain <laughs> this. But I am 70% Irish. Oh, okay. All coming yeah. from the same county, basically, because, like, my grandma's mom is from Ireland. Yeah, we, we have a lot of, like, close relatives from Ireland. Still have a lot of cousins there. And then the rest is, like, Swedish and Norwegian. Okay. So the so, other side of the coin of Europe in a lot of ways. Boring old Western Europe. Hell yeah. Shout out. Shout out. Listen, they they, they, satis- they scratch an itch just like Eastern Europe scratches an itch. So <laughs> you might be more partial to Eastern Europe, but you got you to gotta give it up for Western Europe, too. Um. You touched, you touched a little bit, and I am curious, what are some of the foods there that are worth trying if I'm planning a trip to Prague? What do I have to eat when I go there? Okay, have you ever heard of goulash? That's a shoe, isn't it? Goulashes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so, honestly. Okay, well, what do you imagine when I say the word goulash? Uh, like, a, like a paste. <laughs> like, a, just a, like a gross pile that like kind of looks like tapioca pudding or like applesauce, so... Yeah, that's what I imagine. But what is it, Maddie? <laughs> yeah, so it's basically a brown stew. So it's exactly Great. what it sounds like. <laughs> it's just a beef stew, but it's like the most okay. delicious, savory, yummy beef stew. And then it's put over these dumplings, which... Oh, wow. Okay, dumplings there are a bit different. So in, like, an Asian dumpling, or right. like... Uh, no, it's not even like that. But you know, like a pork bun? Yeah, like of course. That yes. kind of breading. I don't know if you call that a dumpling, but imagine that kind of like sweeter, very like white and rich flour bread, but in like oval slices. Whoa. Okay. With a beef stew poured over? Yeah. So wow. yeah, they're like, it's very like squishy, moist. They're called dumplings with beef stew. Then there's this dish, which is my favorite called svichkova. Which is Stichkova? yeah, okay. Which is I think it's a piece of beef. In, I honestly don't even know what the sauce is, but it's like a white sauce that's like lemony but also savory, and then Whoa. they put cranberry sauce and whipped cream on top. Whoa, okay, we're now we're cooking. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, and then basically anything with paprika, you know, paprika chicken, paprika fish. Sure. Potatoes. Yeah. Just good old hearty. It's it's really heavy food. That's yeah, why it sounds the, the like beer, it. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Damn. All right. Well, shout out. You got to you got to you got to come with your appetite ready to go when you're in Prague. Uh, Maddie, can I give you some fast facts about Czech Republic? I'm not going to promise that they're fun, but I am going to promise you that I'll get through them as fast as I can, yeah, okay? Let's hear it. Okay. On March 6th, 1990, the Czech Socialist Republic was renamed, we kind of touched on this already, was renamed Czech Republic. When Czechoslovakia broke up in 1993, the Czech part of the name was intended to serve as the name of the Czech state. And now they like they are technically referred to in trade as Czechia. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Czechia, not Czech Republic. Czechia. Thank you, chef. Now we're cooking with gas. The Czech Republic has the most castles. In all of Europe, there are over 2,000 castles and chateaus in the Czech Republic, more than in any other country in Europe. Some of the most famous ones, you're going to have to help me with some of these pronunciations because holy shit, they're kind of scaring me a little bit. But 
I believe this one is Hlubaka, H-L-U-B-O-K-A. Uh, Hlubotska. The Hlubotska? C, the C is pronounced T-S. Okay. I'm going to just, we're going to call it that castle. The Orlik castle. The Lednice, Lednice castle. I'm going to butcher all these, so I apologize in advance. And then this one, I believe, is Karlstein. Mm-hmm. K-A-R. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It. Did I nail that? Okay, yeah. Karlstein Castle. So those are some of the famous ones. Have you ever ventured inside any of the castles that they have there? Yes. Actually, funny enough, with Karlstein, I worked for a few weeks as a bike guide tour tour guide. Oh, yeah. Um, with this really, like, ramshackle bunch who just, like, owned <laughs> a few bikes and just made these tours. Um, so yeah, I took like random tourists all the way to Karlstein, which is like, I think 30 kilometers away from Prague or something. But yeah, those were my good old days. I also made some ads for them. That was why they hired me because my like media background, but, um, get this. My wage was the minimum wage, which was $3 an hour. Woo. All right. Yikes on that one. Is that fair for what that place is? It doesn't sound fair, but is is it? That doesn't sound good. With tips, I made like $6 an hour, so I made double the wage. So that was like okay. pretty good. And, you know, that that was enough to pay for my room and food for Oh, my those, God. I think I worked there for like a month and a half or something during the summer. But, yeah, I mean, it's super cheap. So that was like a fair wage for what I was paying. Wow. Shout out. We love a fair wage. You don't hear about a fair wage very much, especially in America. So shout out. Love that. Love that you were able to actually eat and sleep in a, a house for that period of time. Uh, next little fact is that Prague's astronomical clock was installed in 1410, making it the oldest in the world. Is there a specific name for that clock? I know it's relatively famous, and that's like one of the big things that people see while they're there. Can you get what's your background on this big astronomical clock? Um, yeah, that's the name of it. I don't know in Czech. It's probably like Astronomica or something. Okay, uh, but um, it's super touristy. That's like the number one center of the old square. So it's really hard to see it, actually. Like, whenever you go, there's, like, massive crowds. Um, sure. And they just refurbished it. So actually, when I went, it was closed for, like, the first few months. And then okay. the day that my grandma arrived, because she came to visit me, we went Aww. and saw the unveiling. So, Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. so fun. Gra- they unveiled it because grandma was coming. Yeah. That's so nice. No. Aw. We love that. Uh, puppetry and marionette exhibitions are very popular for both children's and adults. And puppetry festivals are held throughout the country each year. The Puppet Museum in Prague hosts shows daily and has the largest collection in the world. We both know someone who would love to go and see yeah, that. I've been trying have to convince him about it. Yeah. Oh, I've been trying to convince him to go. This is Safi. This is all. Yeah. If anyone knows yeah. him. Um, since forever. Like, that's why I got involved with his thesis was just to try to whisper in his ear about coming to Prague. (laughs) Just go to Prague. You will fall in love. I haven't talked to him in a little bit, but he was relatively involved with the Barker, I believe, Marionette Theater in Mm -hmm. uh, L.A. So I'm proud of him for pursuing that because I know, obviously, he really likes it. So hopefully he makes his hopefully he makes the pilgrimage one day, so to speak. Yeah, he will. Um. Those are all the real, the fast... Oh, I got one more, actually. I, I'm, I'm tricked, yeah. 
due to its lack of international and domestic conflict, as well as its low crime rate, the Global Peace Index in 2016 ranks the Czech Republic as the sixth safest place to live on Earth. How do you feel about that? Is that a fair ranking for the Czech Republic? Yes, that was something that I was going to mention as well. I felt completely safe the whole time that I was there. You know, it's typical for a girl to be able to walk home at 3 a.m. drunk and have absolutely no problems. I was like, wow, basically never cat called, I think, by some tourists once. But yeah, it's it's awesome. It feels super great to be a woman on the streets at night. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. That's awesome. Hey, shout out to Czech Republic for being safe so that Maddie can walk home and not feel catcalled at night. I love that. It's awesome. Maddie, is there anything else you want to quickly say about Czech Republic before we – I think we're going to have to take maybe a plane to this next place. Um, I don't think we can take – maybe we can take a train. You'll have to tell me. But before we move on, is there anything else you want to say about Czech Republic? No, I think that's – That's it? That's how you say goodbye. What, say it one more time. Naskladano. Naskladano? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you can pretend that that was good. It's just for the sake of my own embarrassment on this podcast. But we'll say goodbye. Naskladano. And you have to tell me, are we taking a plane to Russia or are we taking a train? I think you can only take a plane. Okay. So let's get in the plane, check the luggage, go through security. Remember to take your shoes off, by the way, because we're about to go through security. <laughs> Now we're in Russia. Well, in theory we're in Russia because this is actually the only place of the three that we're focusing on today that you haven't been. But what is the fascination with Russia? Why pick it to talk about on this episode? Also, we forgot our visa. You need Fuck. Okay. your visa in Damn order it. to enter. And you have to be invited by someone in Russia in order to get a visa. And it takes months. This is one of the reasons why I've never been. So... The person that invited us to talk about it on this is uh, Noah Ski Marge. What is it? No. What is it? The male ending of the last name? Yeah, you'd be Marjerski. Noah Ski Marjerski. That's who invited <laughs> us to talk about it. So we're officially invited. Oh, look at you! Look at that. We actually did remember our visas. So it's actually fine that we're there. To be honest with you, talking about it in the fucking freezing cold <laughs> of the Kremlin right now. Um, but what is the fascination of with Russia, Maddie? Well. This fascination came prior to any knowledge about Eastern Europe before I went to Prague since I was a kid. Because, oh wait, did I say my dad studied Russian literature? Yes. So, yes. Him, he's been talking about Russia forever. He claims that he can speak it. He really can't. I think um, he can read some of it. Uh, we, yeah, we, we both learned the, the Cyrillic alphabet, which is a really funky alphabet i'm sure you've seen yes um that's actually not an r that's an i it's not a b it's a v it's not a p it's an uh r also no yeah scary h is an i n is a h i don't know it's crazy so scary okay but there's a little bit of familial roots there as well it sounds like dad is very into russia dad is very into russian literature and that's actually a great segue for what i know something you're very very interested in which is russian literature from the what would i guess technically is the 19th century onward right mm-hmm. i guess i always get that confused because i always want to say it's the 20th or the night or the 1800s when it's really the 19th century but what are some who are some of your guys i guess when it comes to russian literature and what do you think makes it stand out from american literature or other 
more typical literatures that we study. Yeah, well, the late 1800s in Russia is hailed to be like the shift between the old way of writing and and the new writing because okay. they're the first to do like slice of life observational type writing or at least the first to really go hard into it. Um, and yeah, Russian literature is known for being these like massive beasts, like War and Peace by right. Tolstoy, who's a homie. Um, <laughs> Have you cracked open War and Peace? No, God, no, not yet. That's that's for like when I'm in my 40s. I just met this uh, bookstore owner who's read like every book ever. And she said that she waited or she started War and Peace during the pandemic because that seemed like the perfect time in her life to start it. Like you have to be in sure. a place in your life. Yes, seems, se- seems like it. I don't know if I will ever uh, venture up to War and Peace, but it is one of those that, you know, everybody knows that War and Peace is a colossal book. How many, do you know how many pages it is off the top of your head? I'm going to look it up real quick. Yeah, and probably 2,000. I think it's, or maybe even more. I, I know, I was looking at it on audiobook because I was thinking about it. Sure. But it was like 50 or 80 hours or something. All right, Maddie, I'm looking at it, and this is uh, a number off the first publication, the first published edition. You said your guess was what? Did you say 1,200, or did you say 2,000? Is that your final answer? Yes. This first published edition, 1,225, 1,225. Not as crazy as 2,000, but still, that's a lot of, that's a lot of pages. That's a lot of words. Okay, wait, how many is Anna Karenina? All right, now we're going to play the how many pages is this. Anna Karenina page count. Uh, I'm looking at it right in front of me. It doesn't say if this is a certain publishing or not, but I'm looking at it in front of me. Do you have a guess? Maybe 850 or, yeah, 850. Final answer? Uh-huh. Maddie, you are, you're, you're basically on point. 864. Okay, so, yeah, I just yeah. looked at that not too long ago. So that, that's, that's what I'm tackling right now. Um, how is it? Well, I've warmed myself up. So this is Tolstoy, who, yep. contrary to my dad, who's a Dostoevskian, I would have to say I'm a Tolstoyan. I don't know if there's a word for that. I'm a Tolstoy, a Tolstoy lover. He, he's my guy. You're a Tolstoy lover. Okay. Yeah, he's much what more. A... Yeah. Yeah. He's he's very he's very lovey, and also he uses like the women woman perspective much more than Dostoevsky, and I don't know. He really he he gets it right. Um, <laughs> so I've read a lot of his short stories. So my dive into Russian literature started with short stories. I tried to get through those because, I mean, it's it's difficult. Like, they're difficult. Totally. At first, they seem really boring. Like, just the, the plain observational writing, of course. It's like, you know, with, with slow cinema, like, on the surface, it would be boring. But actually, when you get into it, like, there is kind of a gossipy narrative to follow. So sure. that's what I love about Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina, I've been trying to read for like two years on audiobook. And okay. I got through like the first, I don't know, maybe three or four hours, like over the past few years. But now since I've been in lockdown in Germany, I started like maybe three weeks ago to restart it. And now I'm like 20 hours in. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I've been really obsessed. How many hours to go, or how many hours total? Uh, I think it's like thirty something hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're like close. I mean, you're you're half the you're past the halfway point yeah, at this point. Yeah, I definitely reached like I'm probably at the climax of most of the characters actually. Yeah, some big shits going down, but it is a huge drama. Damn. It is okay. 
so incredible like the way that it follows it, it's about so many different stories like you're always just weaving and going back and it's it's an epic tale about love and loss and and the beginnings of communism and what it means to be a russian in society i love the way that they see themselves they're always talking about being like a proper russian which okay. i don't know they have such a deep sense of uh history and and culture there and even now like this is why I really want to go there is because it's almost like in China how they have like a completely different way of seeing the world and themselves and also in America like I feel like Russia China and America have these like views of themselves that yeah I I'm learning more and more through the literature and it's very interesting to me that is I I wish I had more to say about it other than the fact that you go for doing and that deep of a dive on Russian literature. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. I've definitely talked about it on my other podcast. I'm a big brat when it comes to breeding because I have books that I own that I'm like, I am going to read this one day and I'm the, I just can't get myself to commit. It's so challenging, but I'm, so always listening to a podcast that I'm like, I probably should just fucking do pull a Maddie and just go audiobook because I'd probably enjoy it more. And I would probably stick with it. Cause I don't dislike the narrative. It's just the act of reading, which can be so boring, I guess, for lack of a better term. And so are you an audiobook believer at this point? Yes. Especially through the pandemic, because I've noticed my attention span has severely diminished. And I had totally. the same thing. Like I was sitting in my room with like all these books being at home, like, all these things I want to start. Like, Anna Karenina, I have on a book, but I couldn't right. do it until I had the audiobook. So, yeah, you just sit or you go on a walk and it just... And also, you don't really need to listen to every word. It's like when you're reading, right. like, you can just scan, you know? And Exactly. It's just on in the background. We stand. We love mm-hmm. it. The only Russian guy that I have a real even somewhat of an attachment to isn't even an author. I think he actually did write short stories as well, but Anton Chekhov is a guy that I'm a little bit familiar with because of the plays that he did specifically Siegel. Are you Mm. familiar at all with Chekhov or Siegel or do you have any attachment to him? Yeah. Yeah. I know he's in the same generation of writers as Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, but no, I haven't read any of his plays. Siegel. I saw actually performed at the Oregon Shakespeare festival, maybe eight years ago uh, at this point. Really sad. Starts out... Re- these All these Russian pieces, they start out so fucking boring, like you're saying, and then they just decide they're going to be interesting like just before you hit the midpoint. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, I've sunk in so much fucking time into this that I can't, you know, I can't stop now. I can't not finish this now. I can't not finish watching this now. So that's... I, I agree with you. If you can just get past a certain hump... You're mm-hmm. going to like it, but getting past that hump is sometimes like pulling teeth. Yeah. Was it a family um, drama? It's, yes, it's a family drama, and there, I don't remember a lot of it now, but I do remember there's a bunch of different relationship mm-hmm. threads going on. I probably, to be honest with you, didn't really understand most of it at the time because this was, what, like 2012 or whatever when I was mm-hmm. watching it. I'm in, you know, high school, so I don't probably didn't fully understand it, but there's a lot to like, and there's a lot of books out there, and it's crazy to think that we will not read all of the books out there that exist. It's kind of sad, but in a way, it's freeing, because it's like, just pick the ones that you really want to look at, because you're never going to get to all of them anyway, you know? Yeah, this is why I made a conscious decision 
recently to not watch TV series. I mean, I I didn't okay. really before, but you know, the way that you can consume TV is like so time consuming and like <clears throat> I'd rather devote that time to reading books and at sure. least getting through the ones that I've been meaning to for a while. So, yeah, I would say for Lent you should trade <laughs> your TV series for books. You hear that everyone? For those of you who are celebrating Lent this year, Get rid of the TV. Get Hulu. Get it in the fucking trash. Get a book instead. Um, thank you. And the holiday season's coming up, too, so ask for books if you want. Audiobooks. Audible. Audible. We love Audible. I wish it's they would sponsor this so that I could use it. Actually, not an ad, not sponsored Amazon. content. Actually, forget about Audible. Forget it. Fuck it. We cool. don't like it anyway. Um, I didn't really have a question for this point because I just want to get to the fast facts and then talk about Kosovo, which I know you've actually been to. But is the, do you have anything to say about the fall of the Soviet Empire in the USSR? I didn't really have like a real question formed for that, but do you have any thoughts on that as a sort of Russian stan, I guess? Yeah, so I wanted to talk a bit about the ambition of the Soviet Union, which, of course, you know, I think Stalin reportedly killed more people than Hitler did in the Holocaust so like obviously very dark beginnings dark endings the whole thing the whole communism thing in the end was fucked up actually maybe the whole time it was fucked up but at least they tried and they had (laughs) (laughs) okay no yeah please yeah at least they tried they had a vision for humanity that I think you know comes from Marx you know communism is an ideal and I think it's interesting to see the way that they put into action and, you know, some of the objective success that they had, especially with, you know, like half of Europe was communist until 89. Like, I think we forget that this is such a recent thing that ended sure. and it has such a lasting impact on all the countries in Eastern Europe and, and okay, left them a bit stained. <laughs> But, you know, I think at least in the 50s, like, they had sort of a interesting thing going. Like, they were, the cultures were Russian, but they also valued, like, each country, like, the Czech, their roots, their language. Um, and so it wasn't completely, like, whitewashed by Russia. But, sure, you know, they were trying to do this thing together and... I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a proponent for communism now, and I don't think it works, but I think that it's cool to see that they tried it. And now we know it doesn't now work. Now we know. You know, it's it's like it's like uh, what Gus Van Sant said when he said, why did you remake Psycho shot for shot? And I think his response was something to the effect of, so that nobody else would ever have to, or something like that. So is that is that your sort of tie it up in a bow thoughts about communism yes yes it is and it's like trump you know they're done but they're still gonna try to bring it back (laughs) (laughs) sure yeah we'll see if trump makes we'll see if trump makes that epic comeback we know he's all capable of you know no i think awesome i heard over the summer like putin is now uh in in law made president until like 2040 or something holy shit (laughs) That's so fucked, dude. I know, it's crazy. So, yeah, I really want to get there before they completely close off Americans. 
Yeah, I mean, I think everyone will be traveling again by like 2022, like pretty, you know, non, you know, it'll it'll feel like it was prior to the pandemic in a lot of ways. So you'll get there eventually. Um, can I give you some fast facts about Russia and then can we move on to Kosovo? Yeah, let's go. Russia is home to the largest McDonald's in the world with 700 seats. Put that on your travel list. You put it on your itinerary, Gwyn. A larger building seating 1,500 was constructed for the 2012 Olympics in London, England, but it was a temporary location and was disassembled six weeks after the doors opened, which is really sad because you would like to see that at a McDonald's. I would go to the fucking McDonald's if it was the biggest in the world. That's Are you kidding insane. me? That's awesome. I can't even imagine. It's like an auditorium. Yeah, you're sitting there. There's a little fucking ballet, Russian ballet academy happening there. Brishnikov comes out of retirement. It's awesome. Uh, some famous Russian writers are, include, but are not limited to, Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy, like we said, uh, Dostoevsky, Alexander Pushkin, uh, Vladimir Nabokov, and Anton Chekhov, just to name a few. The Trans-Siberian Railway spans almost the entire way across the country, making it the single longest railway in the whole world at 19 or 9,200 kilometers or 5,700 miles. Yep. 5,700 miles railway departs in the Moscow located in European Russia, European side of Russia and crosses into Asia. It then makes its way to the Pacific port of Vlad, Vladivostok. Is that how you say that? Yeah. That's where uh, Carl Jungquist is from. Oh, shit. Shout out to Carl Youngquist. Love that. Okay. Getting some reps in for Carl's hometown. Uh, Vladivostok, where it reaches the end of its incredible journey. The entire journey nonstop. Any guesses on how long that journey would take you? Two weeks? I have it in hours. So can oh. you... I don't know how long oh, two God. weeks is in hours, but... Uh, 300 hours? 152 hours, uh, 27 minutes. Okay. So there we Not go. Not bad. Not bad. Not, hey, pretty good for a train. Yeah, my dad might uh, want to do it sometime. We have plans. I think Jack Belisle also is into some sort of long-ass railway, so shout-out to Jack Belisle. He probably will do it, too. That guy loves fucking trains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we sure Hell love. yeah. Uh, if you spent two minutes looking at each exhibit in the Hermitage, it would take you six years to see everything. Think about that. That's fucking crazy. I've, have you been to the Met in New York? No, I haven't, actually. That's a huge museum, and th- I don't think you would be able to spend six years if you spent two minutes looking at everything. So that is almost in, like, I can't almost think about that. That's so big. These are all the things you got to do when you hit up when you hit up uh, Russia. I'm giving you your, your itinerary right now. I know. You need to spend, like, a year there, I guess, or six years <laughs> yeah, yeah, six literally six years is what you got to do. Uh, the town of, I believe it's Oymayakin, I believe is how you say it. In the Yakuita region, I'm fucking this up so bad, but it's Siberia, is considered to be one of the coldest inhabited towns on Earth. The coldest temperature was recorded in 1938 at negative 108 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, you can't even comprehend that. Um, The average temperature in December and January is not much warmer than negative 58 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know if there's like a difference between those two, honestly, when it comes down to it, but that's fucking crazy. That's not possible for... Do humans live there? I guess not. I don't think so. I think actually most of Russia is inhabitable from what I sort of gleaned from doing. Okay. Or uninhabited, I guess, or for lack of a better term. From my research, it's like forests and shit. So okay. shout yeah. out to the non-inhabited parts of Russia, That's which is most up. of it. Only. Also, there's this town like north of there that I can't remember the name, but it's like 
I don't know, probably hours north by, by plane, but um, there's this film that I just saw about this town where, like, the most concentration of woolly mammoths are. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, you can just be walking and find, like, woolly mammoth tusks. So, oh, my God. That would be sick. That would be sick. Damn. That doesn't even sound like a real fact, to be honest with you when you say it out loud, but I'm down. Uh, last fact. This is crazy. This just goes to show how fucking huge Russia is. Russia shares a border with 14 countries, including Norway, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Belarus, China, Ukraine, the country of Georgia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, and North Korea. Wow. That's... That's the entirety of Europe and Asia, <laughs> straight up. Yeah. Can you fucking, yeah, it's just, like, so hard to comprehend. Uh, additionally, there are nine tom, tom, time zones across Russia. Holy And they shit. are permanently on daylight savings time, baby. Oh. So. Huh. I think that's the same that with means, Barbados, actually. That's why I'm on a weird time zone as well. That's crazy. Yeah, because you're, what, four hours ahead of Pacific Standard Time, right? Yeah, but... A few weeks ago, it was only three hours ahead. Oh, because everyone flew, uh, flipped back yeah. an hour. Sure. Right. Well, that's all I got for you on Russia. Can we, can we, I think we're going to have to take a plane out of here as well to go to Kosovo, which I know is your, is your, your fave, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay. All right. Let's get on the plane. Make sure you pack everything that you came with. Make sure you have your visa. You got everything. Yeah, but you can't fly from Russia to Kosovo. We have to go somewhere that recognizes Kosovo as a country, which okay, is anyone that is like friends with the U.S. Basically, so who's friends with the U.S. at this point? (laughs) (laughs) That's my big question. Yeah, well, you can go from Germany quite easily. Okay, we're gonna go to Germany first. Okay, now you know we got some polka music playing in the background right now. (laughs) We're having some fun. We're drinking some uh, Goldschlager. I think is what we'll be drinking right now. I think it's, like, got little bits of, like, gold flakes in it or something. I have no fucking idea. I heard it talking about once. But that's where we're going. And now we're flying into Kosovo. Yay. Kosovo is our last stop on our Eastern European tour. Why Kosovo, Maddie? All right. So, as I mentioned, I showed up in Kosovo on that Balkan trip I took last summer without really any knowledge. And I'm on the bus driving through, which by the way, I was coming from Serbia, but because they share a border with Kosovo that they don't recognize, you have to like drive all the way around the country and then go through Macedonia. So I was in Skopje. Oh my gosh. It was a crazy journey. So I'm driving past the border and look out the window and there's this massive billboard that says, happy 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) A huge American flag. In, like, the entrance of the country. And I was like, that's weird. (laughs) That is weird. Okay. A little freaky way to start your journey. Yeah. And then the bus breaks down, and I have no cell service, and I'm like, okay, where the fuck am I? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I didn't know where I was staying that night because I was trying to do this, like, couch surfing thing. So, yeah, I I was very, like, just confused. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... There were some nice people on the bus. They talked to me. They said, don't worry, this happens all the time. After, like, two hours, then bus restarts. I get into the city, and I just start walking. I have, like, 
a paper map of where the city center is. I assume I can find like a hostel or something there. And I'm walking down the street and this road that enters the main square of the city is called Bill Clinton Boulevard. Right. <laughs> or, that is insane. <laughs> Boulevard de Bill Clinton and Clinton is spelled with a K. Of course it is. Okay. Wow. So Bill Clinton is the national hero of Kosovo, I guess. Yeah. And when you reach the end of this boulevard, there is like a huge statue of him. And then oh my God. behind that, there's like this big American flag, like on the wall of these like communist looking apartment buildings um, with his face. And I think it says, thank you, USA. Wow. Um, yeah. So then you keep walking and um, yeah, there's all these different busts of like US senators and... Um, also, there's a pantsuit store called Hillary. Oh, really awful. Hate that, to be honest with you. Uh, that loses points in my book for Kosovo, but I'm glad that the Clintons, I'm glad that third wave Democrats uh, are huge hits over in Kosovo. <laughs> Shout out to the Clinton family. And why is that? Why are they so into America? Okay, yeah, so this is, this is the story. So have you heard of the Bosnian genocide? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this is what people are more familiar with that happened in the early 90s. Um, yeah. And this was a genocide by the Serbians, specifically the president at the time, or the dictator, uh, uh, Milosevic, um, who committed it against the Muslim Bosnians. Now, this genocide is only really known about retroactively, or retrospectively, right. because there wasn't much interference. And somehow he got away with it at the time. And so by 1999, when the Serbians um, invaded Kosovo, which was once like a provincial district of Serbia. So yeah, that's something that you need to know is so, Ser- uh, Kosovo was part of Serbia. Right. Um, but during Yugoslavia had their own... Um, control over it because it's like the south of Serbia and 95% of the population are Albanian Muslims so they speak Albanian and they're like historically Albanian but they've like lived in this territory so it used to be part of Albania actually before World War II so in 1999 the Serbians came down and were attempting to commit another genocide against the Albanian Muslims there and trying to take it take back control basically and finally you know the the rest of the world was like okay shit we can't let this happen again now we see it happening so there was NATO came together as a coalition to stop Serbia from doing this and US led a air bombing on Serbia on Belgrade, okay. actually, and this is also a reason why I'm, I'm interested in Belgrade, is because you can see they left a lot of the destruction, and they're very anti-American oh, wow. because of this reason. Um, so for, like, 71 days, there was there was bombing on the city, and it, it wasn't um, civilian-aimed, but it did kill some civilians and right. cause a lot of damage, and, you know, my friends that live there lived through this you know there was like there were like a few years old and they remember not having power and water and and it, it was wow. very traumatic but um i think for most of the international community it was deemed necessary because of what was happening there so 
basically after doing this, um, you can't really call it a genocide because it wasn't one-sided because the Albanian Muslims did fight back and they had their own coalition called the Kosovo Liberation Army, who I believe and the international community believes are also war criminals who are still running the country, which is a huge problem. Um, But basically, after Serbia left, U.S. came in and helped instate democracy in Kosovo. And actually, they weren't, they didn't become independent until 2008. So, like, right at the beginning of Obama's presidency. But Bill Clinton was kind of like that figure that came in and, and, and helped liberate them, basically. So, yeah, now... U.S. has been there uh, to protect them, and they have, like, a huge army base and, uh, yeah, still a really big presence in the country. And um, also, I mean, are kind of like a puppet. It's like a puppet government of the U.S. in a way. Right. Um, Which recently there's been some crazy things going on with with Trump working with these war criminal guys. And won't get into that, but... I would recommend you research it because it's a crazy story. Um, So yeah, this is why the people love America because this is seen as actually a bipartisan effort and actually something that America did out of like the goodness of their hearts. Sure. In theory, (laughs) the goodness of their hearts. Yeah. 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 Not mentioning that. Kosovo has like an insanely rich soil and and precious minerals and is I strategically placed in Europe blah blah blah. Right. Yeah. yeah. All those good reasons why it's not in the goodness of their heart. But but it's that's what they think and so that's that's the story, right? Mhm. Yeah. Well, it's probably needless to say, but you were probably welcomed with open arms then when you when you got there uh, to the center of Kosovo. Is that fair to say? Were people pretty nice to you? Exactly. And so, yeah, before I said I love, like, being hated by the people and not being accepted, but this is kind of nice, you know, after being in sure. Serbia, like, where <laughs> I couldn't even mention that I was American because they really, I mean, understandably have a prejudice against Americans. So being there, like... uh I basically immediately made friends with these sure. guys that I met. I just walked into a hostel and asked if they had some rooms and they were playing beer pong, which I've never seen people play in Europe before. So I was like, sure. that's American. Um, and then I asked them, like, <laughs> yeah. what is all this? Like, <laughs> I, I just didn't know. So right. uh ended up becoming friends with them. They took me out that, uh, out that night to actually the world premiere of like they make like three films a year in Kosovo because they have like a blossoming industry but like one of those three films was premiering that night so that night my first night I met like all the big people in the film industry oh my god and went to this like huge fancy after party and actually crazy enough I met the cinematographer of that film was guess whose wife Guess whose wife? Yeah. Someone that we was a professor at Chapman yes. University? Jurg? No. Johnny Jensen? No. The other guy? <laughs> Bill Dill? Yeah, Bill Dill. That's crazy. No <laughs> fucking way. That's wild. Yeah. It was so random. <laughs> like, yeah, she lives in LA. What was she she's... doing? How did you... How did she get attached to that? That like, seems like a crazy little venture for someone who's not local. Well, she's from Kosovo. 
Oh, she is from Kosovo. Um, yeah, so okay. she's Kosovo. And her and her sister are like this filmmaking duo. Her sister's a director. And they both live in L.A. because both their husbands are from L.A. But sure. they went back to Kosovo to do this film last year. So, yeah, it's called Zana. I'd highly recommend it. Um, it Z-A-N-A? Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be the Oscar nominee for Kosovo. But who knows if it'll get in. I don't know how they do that selection process. But... Um, yeah, and actually, it also covers like some of the background of of uh, the history of the country. And actually, they in the war they lived in this town that was like the most destroyed, and like both their houses were burned down. And I think maybe their mother died also. So it's like a very personal story um, oh, wow. about their time through it. And yeah, it's really touching. I highly recommend it. Wow, and all to think, get somehow it got fucking. Gets us back to Chapman University and Bill Dill ASC. Wild. Amazing. Um, what are some of the cultural things that you want to do when you're in Kosovo? What are some of the foods that you want to try? What? How would you plan a day in Kosovo, basically, if you are my tour guide? Okay, number one, you need cigarettes. <laughs> okay. Get, get at least one pack, baby. Get, smoke them while you got them. Yeah, one pack per hour, basically, because okay. they smoke. nice way way too much um need some coffee you need okay. some rakia with your coffee which was which is this brandy that i was talking about which yeah, yeah. they just drink all day long um okay. they also do their version of chivapi and then they do this thing that i've never heard of or tasted before called flia 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 okay yeah but they, what is it uh you'll see it in this film Zana. they they make it traditionally also in the film but it's like this metal circular cooking ware, like a big metal pan, basically, that okay. you sit out in the sun, and you use the sun to bake it. And Whoa. basically, they have the, this crepe batter, and you put one layer on, and then you let that bake in the sun, and then you put another layer on, and you build this like big crepe cake, basically. Wow. But it's not sweet. It's like cheesy and savory. And then you cut it into slices, and yeah, it's like a crepe cake. Holy shit. That literally, I literally am like, I have to eat that, like right now. That sounds so good. Yeah. Is it served with anything specifically, or is it like served on its own? Nope, just some salt. That's wow. it. And you can eat it for yeah. like, I don't know, 25 or 50 cents there. Holy shit. <laughs> That's insane. I got to get myself there right now. Damn. Yeah. Got to get me some of that flea. Okay. What else are we doing around Kosovo? What are some of the, what are some of the local sites or some of the things to do in Kosovo? Um, okay. Well, so this is Pristina that I'm talking about. It's like the capital city. Okay. There's honestly not much to do. It's not okay. like a touristy town, but I would highly recommend it for tourism just because of the people. And sure just talking with them like they'll bring you around i mean there's some things to see like there's some sculptures or you know monuments or whatever but yeah probably the most appealing thing for people our age is the nightlife sure um i would say it's like the berlin of the east that you've never heard of okay they have an insane techno party scene um, <laughs> damn and it's only started like within the past few years and it's like led by you know the people our age and they kind of have turned these old factory warehouses into cultural centers and um actually interestingly enough they get a lot of money from the european union to 
uh, put into the arts. Oh, wow. And so all the people that I met there, like most of the people in the city are like somehow involved in the arts and do this for work. Um, so these cultural centers during the day do like community teaching, community gardens, you know, music, That's all awesome. this stuff. And then at night, like fucking rage. Damn. It's like preschool in the morning and, you know, last last weekend of senior year at night, every single night. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So that's what you do. Awesome. Is there... Not is there. I'm going to tell you some fucking fast facts about Kosovo now, Maddie. okay? Mm-hmm. Kosovo is the second youngest country in the world declaring its independence from Serbia on February 17th, 2008. The only country to declare its independence more recently is... Do you want to take a guess at that one, Maddie? South Sudan. You nailed it, baby. Yep. 2011, South Sudan is the youngest country uh, in the world as of this recording. Kosovo is the second. That's crazy that you knew that South Sudan was the, this is the most youngest the youngest country in the world. Did yeah. you just know that because you knew that, or did you know that for a specific reason? My friend is from there, and he was like part of the revolution that helped oh, shit. do that. So, Okay, you got some ties there then. Uh. Uh, a statue of you actually mentioned this a statue of former US President Bill Clinton stands on the streets and also bears his name in Pristina the capital Clinton helped end the conflict in the late 90s uh, the conflict that was mentioned earlier by Maddie uh, and the and former President George W. Bush who also has a street named for him in the capital uh, so there you go some some Clinton some Bush like you said very bi- bipartisan there apparently you got some third wave Democrats and you got some Bush war criminal family politics there uh or streets i guess for lack of a better term uh the olympic games in rio 2016 were the first to host athletes completing under competing under the flag of kosovo the olympic committee sent a total of eight athletes and returned with one gold medal actually for kosovo do you know what the medal was in basketball no, I feel Wait, like that that's a, a big that a, that's a big U.S. thing. I feel like to be really good at I don't even couldn't even tell you if there is a basketball player from Kosovo. Probably not, considering it was eradicated and liberated and independent <laughs> in two thousand eight. Wait, but, is basketball an Olympic sport even? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you know? But is that? I'm just gonna tell you. It was judo. They took home a gold in judo. Oh, so there that's you go. Random. It is random, but pretty epic. Uh, more than 70% of the country's population is under 35, which makes it the youngest country in all of Europe. The median age of people in Kosovo is 29 years old. So a fairly young uh, world over there as well. Is that just because of the people who escaped during Serbia and now they're all grown up and have sort of settled in Kosovo, you think? Um, this is probably because of the diaspora, because so many people left and had to become refugees during the war. <clears throat> so these are sure. the people that either just stayed through it, like super hardcore, or who came back. But not many people came back. So this is actually a huge problem. It's like now, um, like you said, there's a really big youth population, but also 50% of them are unemployed. Um, so either they're employed in like these arts programs or they're getting money from their family that uh, were immigrating to other countries so germany is a big one switzerland and they send money back and so now this is a problem because there's like mass exodus of people you know like the young people see their friend their family in in berlin and want to live that life so they leave so yeah they're trying to find ways to make people stay and grow the economy wow that is a problem i didn't think that having such a young population would be a problem but 
you nailed it. That that is a, a big problem. This next fact, I I'm a little bit iffy on because of how we've established already that Kosovo <laughs> is such a young country, but I'm gonna read it anyway. Mother Teresa, when she was 18, lived in a small village of Letnica, Kosovo. It was there that the Church of the Blessed Lady in Letnica that she decided to adopt a life of religious devotion. The Roman Catholic Cathedral in Kosovo is named in her honor. So maybe what would have become Kosovo, Letnica, you know, maybe that's maybe the more specific way to say it. But Mother Teresa found her calling in what then became Kosovo. So shout out to Kosovo. Shout out to Mother Teresa. You know, apparently Mother Teresa pretty good lady from what i've been told yeah and it's interesting because most of the population like i think still like 93 percent is muslim um but they still celebrate her and um catholicism i guess wait yeah she's catholic right yeah okay um so yeah that's that's sort of a surprising fact a little bit surprising it is it feels a little bit weird based on everything that we know about it but Maddie, those are that's the end of my fast facts on Kosovo. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we say about Kosovo before we end the show, for lack of a better term? Um, just another fun Clinton fact. Yes. Um, there's a whole generation of kids named Clinton with a K. <laughs> Their first names. It's awesome. Yeah. And they're all like, I don't know, born in '90s and later, so like teenagers, like all these teenagers are just Clintons. <laughs> That's that's crazy. I don't even know what to say to that. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you did you do you keep in touch with any Clintons from Kosovo? I never met one. I, I would love to no. meet a Clinton, but Damn. yeah, I need to I need to go back. I still have a lot of exploring to do. Oh, another fun thing is I went there yes. for um New Year's last year and I didn't realize but because they're Muslim and American culture, they want to celebrate Christmas but not on Christmas Day because, like, it's opposing to their religion, I guess, or there's some conflict Interesting. there. So they celebrate Christmas on New Year's. Interesting. And they don't call it Christmas, they call it New Year's, but they have Santa and they have Christmas trees and presents and everything that you do on Christmas, but on New Year's. It's like a weird, um, like a weird amalgamation of, like, New Year's, like, bringing in the New Year and Christmas. So interesting. I don't know why that would be, but, hey... If it were, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was a fun time. Got... Wild. Were you there for that? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't realize, but like all my friends, you know, with their, were with their families because right. it's Christmas. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so I got to actually go to like three different dinners for New Year's and, um, you know, kind of experience like the typical uh, cultural celebration there. And then, you know, there's fireworks at midnight and then after midnight all the kids are released and then everyone takes the streets and and parties like crazy and we're up partying until like all day the next day so it's a good start to the year wow damn that sounds that sounds fun yeah wait really real way to ring in fucking 2020 right yeah uh well maddie we've reached the end of the show thank you so so much for coming on talking to us about eastern europe and your faves, you know, your favorite faves from Eastern Europe. Is there anything you want to plug before we say goodbye to everybody listening? I would love to plug Couchsurfing, <laughs> which is actually a website. Which, oh, it's a website? It's not actually the idea of couch surfing. Yeah, it's actually, no, sorry, it's a community of oh, these community. random okay. 
weird but very nice and somehow normal people like me who (laughs) are okay with opening up their homes to strangers or being a stranger and going to a stranger's home and just staying with them and and trusting them. Um, Obviously, this community has took a hard hit during the pandemic. Um, But when things resume, then I would highly recommend checking it out because I only paid for like two nights of accommodation in the whole month that I was in the Balkans. And this was a great way that I met local people and, you know, most of them cooked me all my meals and drove me around. And it was like, yeah, it was, I think I only spent a couple hundred dollars like the whole time for a month. Wow. And had these amazing amazing experiences. So couch surfing, love them. Also work away is another option. Are these websites or apps or what? Yeah. They're websites. It's also an app. Okay. Nice. Shout out. We love that. Is it, is that specifically to like Europe or is that, could you, could I do that in theory in other parts of the world? Anywhere. Yeah. I've hosted people as well in Seattle. Okay. Oh, you've hosted people in Seattle. Yeah. Some Germans. (laughs) And then they hosted me when I went to Germany. So, Oh, that's cute. Yeah. That is nice. Well, folks, you can follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram if you so desire. You can follow us on Twitter at MyFavePod, and you can follow us on Instagram at MyFavorite__Podcast. You can also listen to my other podcast called It's on the List with Noah and Mason, where we talk about underrated movies and music and all that good stuff. I'm not 100% sure what episode's going to be out when this episode comes out because of sort of a weird release schedule that Mason and I are having, weird record schedule, but... Either way, we've got almost 50 episodes of that. So go listen to the new one, uh, whatever one just came out. And go listen to all the old ones, too. Stinky, come on, baby. You got to do that for me. Host of the podcast. <laughs> no, you owe it to me. You got to do it for me. Um, but that's it. Maddie, Glenn, thank you so much. Cool. Thank you, Noah. This has been so much fun. Will you help me say goodbye to everybody now? Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye. See ya.